Take your Bibles to Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Next week and the following, we will be in the traditional Luke 2 uh, Christmas story. I've got a couple of messages to you about joy, joy to the world and being on a joyful journey. We're going to talk about joy the next few weeks, but I've decided to do this uh, Deuteronomy text last week and then this Revelation text to get us in the Old and the New Testaments because I really want us to be very, very focused on um, the main things this season. It's so easy to get distracted. Everybody's got so much night after night after night, and that's not in and of itself bad, but it's easy to be distracted. Before we get into the message, we do need to be praying for our friends in Middle Tennessee, Nashville, Hendersonville, Clarksville, and such. There were six confirmed deaths in these tornadoes last night and the peripheral incidents. Just so you know, Pastor Kevin and I, uh, Miss Levick and I have met this morning we will be sending help. We will be sending resources. We will hopefully be sending people. If you would like to be involved in that in any way, please email him. I could give you Kevin.Mislevic, M-Y-S-L-V, that you won't remember. So email him at missions, just missions, at gracebc.org. If you want to be involved, if you want to give extra, that's fine, but we've already got money in Grace Go set aside for these kinds of things. We will be helping. We will be very practical in our help, and we will be very quick in our help. We have a lot of connections in that part of our state. And so tomorrow morning, I'm on the board here for the Tennessee Convention. I'll be reaching out, finding out what is our what avenues will we have to get the most help to the most people. So that's what we'll do, all right? Um, but be be praying, and we'll pray at the end for those as well. Uh, so last week, I asked the question, has the Grinch stolen Christmas? I said you need to examine your will, your words, and your ways. We talked about the mind, mouth, and motions, head, heart, hands, all of those things you've probably heard before. Today, remember your first love. Remember your first love. I love the image that we selected. She normally gives me, our graphic designer will give me three to four choices every week once I give her the theme and I give her the text, and I'll, I'll give normally an idea. I said I wanted an older couple. I wanted them to obviously still be in love and give me some images to look at. And this one of this arched bridge is particularly special. Maybe you were here when I showed you a picture of Crimdale. It's a very special little uh, arched bridge like that on the, college, on the campus of the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And on the middle of that bridge, which has a lot of lore around it on our uh, campus where we met, uh, I, I got down on one knee and proposed to Cindy. And so when I look at this image, we were only 19 and 20 at the time. So it's hard to believe because now we're 29 years from, there, from then. But I look at this couple, and that's my desire. No matter what color the beard or the goatee is, no matter what we look like, no matter what the age, I want to keep walking this journey, and I want to remember. And do you remember your first love? And we're going to obviously go to the Lord with this, but do you remember your first love? Do you remember how that made you feel? And more importantly, how did it make you act, right? Because love is action. Were you willing to do anything and everything for him or her, not because you expected something in return, but you just wanted them to be happy? You wanted them to be pleased. You would demonstrate your love no matter what it took. And we know that when we look in the Bible, it tells us over and over that God loves us. God loved us first so that we could in turn love him, that he's done everything to keep that love very visible and forthright in front of our faith so that we can see how much he's loved us. And when we think about that today, I want you to think about this two ways. I want you to think about it 
in the horizontal relationships of life, but more than that, I want to take it to the vertical with how God loves us and how we in turn love God because there's so many good things happening. I don't want us to lose sight of the best thing and our love relationship with him. So in this passage, Jesus is talking to John, John the Apostle. He's been exiled to an island called Patmos. We were in Patmos a few years ago. We're planning to go back probably next year. Uh, we're going to take a, a big spiritual development trip, maybe next year or the year after, Steps of the Apostles Tour, and we'll go to Ephesus. We'll go where we're talking about today. We'll go to those major ancient Greek, uh, major ancient cities, and we'll go to some of the Greek islands like the Isle of Patmos. And Jesus, speaking to John, said, I want you to give letters to the seven major churches of Asia Minor, okay? So things like, you know, Philadelphia and Laodicea and Ephesus. And then most of those letters had a, a tripart pattern, pretty simple pattern. Jesus typically came out with some commendation. You're doing some good things. I want to encourage you. Then he would offer some rebuke. Be careful, I have this against you. You need to straighten up. And then exhortation. I want, you, I want to encourage you to keep going in this or that. And so that's the pattern that we see. And this morning, as we unpack this, I know there's a, a few parts and pieces in here I can't fully explain because of my time limitations. But I want you to get the core of what Christ is saying to his church. I'm not a classic dispensationalist, so I don't believe these words only apply to a certain age and a certain stage. I believe these words apply to us here today. I believe these letters to these churches still are applicable to what we can learn and how we can grow in our walk with the Lord. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation 2, let's just read these first seven verses. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write... These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, I know that's Jesus Christ talking because of what's already been unpacked in Revelation chapter 1. Okay, so you can go back later and study that. But Revelation 1 tells me that Jesus is the one expressing himself here through John who's writing. And, it, and so he holds these stars, he walks amongst these lampstands, representative of the light of these churches, their witness to the world, and Jesus says, I know your works. That can be good or bad, depending on what's up. I'll get to that in a moment. I know your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars and you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Man, all that is great. But then you get the nevertheless. You ever had one of those conversations when somebody's building you up, building you up, building you up, and they say, but you don't want to know what's on the other side of the butt, do you? Well, Jesus says, you're doing great. Keep going. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. That's not good. So what does Jesus tell them to do? Here's the exhortation. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Your light will not shine anymore unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes will give to eat from the tree of life, 
which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, do what I'm telling you. As I overcame, you will overcome, and there will be great reward forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for these powerful letters. I love these letters to these churches. But I also love the fact that here today in 2023, as we close out this year, as we are in this glorious season of lights, I love the fact that grace is doing so many things well. I believe with all of my heart that through the ministries of the church, Lord, through our our academy, through all of these things like Grace Performing Arts, Grace Youth Sports, all of our ministries that help people at their point of need, I believe you are pleased. And yet even in a place like this, if we're not careful, we could forget our first love. We could become very good at doing what we do, but let the heart behind it truly be inclined to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So let's start with the most obvious truth that emerges. Jesus always knows our works for him. Jesus always knows our works for him. He's setting the stage here saying, He holds these seven stars in his hand. Let me give you just a quick overview of that. I don't have time to unpack it much, but um, there's there's representation here. You know that Revelation's full of such things. And so most scholars say these are messengers who represent the seven churches. The, The leader or the angel in the beginning could be literally an angel from heaven, could be the bishop, pastor, elder, overseer, or group of overseers of a local congregation. Either way, the point is these folks represent you. I know who they are, and so I'm paying attention to what's going on in the midst of that particular body, and you are represented by a lampstand. Y'all remember that the lampstands, they had the little oil lights, and you shine forth the light unto the watching world. And Jesus talks a lot about that in the Gospels. In fact, he said he is the light of the world. But he's saying, look, give you the flyover. You're doing so many things well. You're doing this, and it's great, and you're calling these folks out just because they say they're of the family. They may not be of the family. You said, hey, liar, liar, pants on fire. I agree. That's good. Call them out. He said, by the way, those guys, that cult named, uh, led by that guy named Nicholas, the Nicolaitans, he said, I don't like what they're doing either. In fact, I detest it. I hate their work too, and you're doing a good job. But you've really forgotten the most important thing. And if you continue down this path, I'm going to come and take your influence away. Amongst all the other great things you're doing, if you don't get the main thing right, if the main thing is not the main thing, I take your light away. And you don't want that. If you've ever been a part of something where the hand of God is so obvious and the Lord is moving, it is exciting. But if the hand of God's blessing comes away, it's depressing. And so when he says, I know your works, good or bad, what if you were a kid and your parent told you to do something. Hey, son, I, I want you to go mow. My, I used to mow from, I don't even remember, man. I can, when I was walking, I was mowing. I don't know. But I remember my father would be, hey, you need to mow the yard. We had a big yard when I grew up. And, and it was not until I moved out and went to college that my dad bought a riding lawnmower. So he was showing me something. But that's okay. So you mow the yard. Okay, dad. And if I did it and I did what I was supposed to do, if my father came in and said, hey, bud, I know your work. I know you. I'm, I'm like, cool. I got it. Do you like that? You like what I did? My dad liked the lines a certain way. I have a few quirks because I think I inherited them honestly. But my father taught me, you know, these straight lines. Don't look like you've been drinking out here when you're mowing the grass, son. You sh- but 
If I'd been hiding behind the barn smoking, like some of y'all heard my tale, if I'd been hiding and my father comes in and says, hey, boy, I know what you've been doing. That's a different I know. And when Jesus says, I know your works, the question is, how do you feel about that? See, I don't know. Maybe even your spouse doesn't know. But Jesus knows. And Jesus says, you guys have been doing some stuff really well. You're demonstrating endurance. You're living holy, sanctified lives. You can't bear evil. There are those that claim to be apostles. You've called them out. They're being biblical, man. I mean, look, they are following 1 John 4, 1. The same John wrote that. And he said, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. Just because somebody says they know the Lord, just because somebody says they're doing the work of God, doesn't mean it's so. In fact, he called out one very specific group in verse 6. Did you notice? He said, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, so do I. It's a combination word, by the way. Nikau, which means to conquer, and laos, which means people. It's where we would eventually get the English word, the laity, the people, generally speaking, the people. And um, scholars are somewhat disagreed over who this was, but probably the best explanation from my study is there was a man named Nicholas of Antioch who apostatized from the truth. He formed a cult, and they taught these false doctrines that basically one must indulge in sin to understand it. It was ludicrous, but we still have this kind of mess going on today. Hey, man, you can't really, you can't really minister to a drunk unless you've been a drunk. Well, no, that's not true. Now... If God's delivered me from alcohol abuse, maybe I am more impactful or effective and certainly maybe more empathetic, but it's not that I have to experience this, but Nicholas uh, went even farther. Nicholas taught you must indulge in such things to understand and appreciate your deliverance from them. In fact, it's a little bit of what Romans six, 5 and 6 teaches us about um, continuing in sin that grace may abound. He went so far, though, as to say the things you did with your body doesn't, don't even matter. They don't even impact the spirit. And so he separated God's liberty in Christ with license. Anything goes. And so the Nicolaitans are almost certainly that cult. They're probably almost certainly the ones that presumed upon the grace of God and said, ah, just do what you want to do. And the more you indulge in sin, the better you understand it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Romans 12, 9, the Bible says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. That's a strong word. It's strong in the Greek, it's strong in the English, abhor, vehemently hate, despise what is evil, cling to what is good. And so Jesus reiterates some things. You've persevered, you have patience, you've labored in my name, you haven't become weary. That's good stuff, man. Jesus knows what you do. And some of you have already been out there today and you've been serving. Some of you have been up here and you've been serving. Some of you are still serving. Some of you we see, some of you we don't see. It takes hundreds of servants here on a Sunday. Some driving those carts, some protecting us and keeping us safe as our shepherd. Some will go this afternoon and deliver food for those in need through our food for kids ministry. The choir, the orchestra, the praise band, the tech team have been working their guts out for this weekend for Christmas at Grace. It's gonna be awesome. Jeff has been writing this thing for months now. And they've been learning some great music, and I understand it's coming along really, really well, and it's going to be fun and different, but they've been serving. But then it's, okay, well, why are they doing that? Well, we're going to come to that. But I want you to process something I saw years ago 
uh, it was in a church, and it was just, I think they just printed it on copy paper, and they stuck it in several places around the church. I should have asked the pastor if he was doing a series on it or something, but it was a very provocative question, and it asked this. If every member were just like me, what kind of church would this church be? That's a good question. I want you to think about it. If every member sang like you, what would it sound like on Sunday morning? Now, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, keep making a joyful noise for the Lord, and we'll overlook that. But you, you ought to be opening your mouths, giving God whatever you've got. I didn't ask you to put a microphone in your hand. That's not for everybody. But if they studied the word like you, prayed like you, taught like you, gave like you, shared their gifts like you. What about in our Christmas gift for Christ, y'all? We're asking for a lot for this bus. It's a big deal. It's a big need here. It's been a long time since we've added to our fleet. We can actually save money in the long run because of our rentals, and we need this bus. But here's the deal. Uh, Cindy and I just gave our gift. I did the math on how many families it would take if they gave the same gift we gave, and we've got Many, 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 many times more families than that in our church. But what if everybody gave to that big bus like you give? Would we have the big bus or would we get a 75 Ford Pinto? Which would it be? Which would it be? I'm just asking. I'm just being honest. If everybody was like me and Jesus said, I know what you're doing. Jesus always knows our works for him. But... Our works for Jesus must always be motivated by love. Ephesians was the most prominent city in the nation we know as Turkey. When we were there a few years ago, it's an amazing place. And much of it's not even excavated. But what is excavated is phenomenal. I'll take you one day if you want to go. It's incredible. It's a great church. It had great pastoral leadership. John the Apostle had led there for a while. Paul the Apostle had led there for a while. Young Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, had led there as a pastor for a while. And when Revelation was written, these Ephesian believers had been under great leaders. Most were the second generation of faith, the church in and around Ephesus. And by church, I mean it could have been like multiple sites. But where it met in homes and synagogues, pre-the church buildings, this church with many arms, this wonderful church had great things going on and a lot of influence. So many of these are second generation. They were born into believing parents, as was I. Mama had me in church nine months before I was born. My dad came later in life, if you've heard my testimony. And then, you know, I know it's easy to take Jesus for granted. We can become professional in our faith. And we can begin to put our work for Christ above our worship of Christ. And don't, listen now, this is real important. If you don't hear anything else, guys, please hear this phrase. Don't ever think Jesus cares more about what you do for him than who you are to him. Please remember that being part of the family of God is not just about what you do. It's really about who you are and how you relate to the Lord. See, they're doing a lot right. He said in verse 4, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Now, what does that mean in this context? How do we understand that phrase? Well, I believe when we really understand Ephesus, and we know we have the book, the, the, the letter written to Ephesus, and we know we can study historically what's going on in the church around that time, through the Bible and through extra-biblical literature, what was happening in Ephesus? Well, fundamentally, they began going through the religious motions without a firm foundation of love and worship. It means their motivation became obligation rather than a hot heart for God. 
And so you've heard me say this many times. Pastor Jeff repeated it last week based on, they hear it from me a lot in our staff meetings and things. Our proper motivation is not obligation, but adoration. We had our staff Christmas party in-house this past week. And I, I keep going back to we get to do this. This is not a have to, man. This is a get to. This is a joy to be able to get to do what we do. It is not an obligation thing. It is an adoration thing. But sometimes adoration turns into tradition. And the Ephesian church exercised spiritual discernment. And they did a lot of things well. And through persecution they endured. Yet their passion turned to professional Christianity. And we've got to be careful of the same thing. Some of them had met Jesus and gotten over it. And in big church especially, Jeff even mentioned this. I thought this was interesting. He didn't say it in the first hour, but Jeff even mentioned we schedule things. Well, we really have no choice but to schedule. But I never want to be so professional in the schedule that we can't trust that the Spirit of God may want to do something that we didn't see coming, and we got to be okay with that. We got to be open enough to that to say, you know what, God, you do what you want to do. We will respond to you out of a hot heart of love. We care about what you want. We don't make plans and ask you to bless them. We ask you to show us what you want and then reveal that so that we can do it. Early in my pastoral ministry, I was reading a, a great book that Cindy had had. She had bought it. It was called The Vision of His Glory. It was written by Ann Graham Lotz. That's Billy Graham's daughter. And it was a study on the book of Revelation. Now, about 20 years ago, I was actually preaching from another chapter in Revelation at a church in Raleigh. It was a, a church start, a young church, but it had already had about, they were growing rapidly, 350, 400 people, and I was going that weekend. Actually, interesting enough, Pastor Frank was the interim music pastor at that church, but Ann Graham Lotz and her husband Danny happened to be members of that church. I didn't know it. I'm glad that I didn't because it would have made me more nervous knowing Billy Graham's daughter was there, and I was preaching on Revelation, and she wrote a book on it. And so um, I just stood up and preached, and afterward, Ann Graham Lotz, who's pretty tall anyway, came along, but Danny Lotz, many of you basketball people know Danny Lotz, played basketball for the University of North Carolina Tar Heels in 1957 in their first national championship team. Did I mention that we have six of those in North Carolina? I didn't know if I mentioned that. And we were, we were actually in Thompson Bowling the other night for a great concert, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and I looked up and I said, hey, look at all those cool banners, right? Women's basketball. It's great. It's great. Congratulations, UT. Lady Vols. Woohoo! Okay, so Danny Lotz, this incredible basketball player, comes by. They were very sweet. They were very gracious. But in that book, Ingram Lotz says something about getting to know her, the man that would become her husband, Danny. And this is what she wrote. When I first fell in love with my husband, I was preoccupied with thoughts of him. I was almost obsessed with spending, about spending time with him. My love was affectionate, emotional, passionate, fervent. His every wish was my command. I mean, it's like Cindy could be writing this, really. I'm just going to tell you. So, uh, not this part. When we were first married, I starched his shirts and ironed his underwear. Okay, now that's gross. Don't do that. That's just wrong. But, but, but Angram Lot said, none of it was a burden because I was in love. And then she goes on to ask this question. Have you ever been in love with Jesus like that? And this is where Ann and I will part ways. I really don't like, I get the language with people. I understand it. It's typically that early infatuation stage. I don't particularly care for the language in love when it comes to Jesus. 
And I'll tell you why. People speak of falling in love and falling out of love. And as I like to say, you fall in a hole and fall out of a tree. You don't fall in love or out of love. You choose. You do make a choice. I'm not saying your feelings can't change, but we're not talking about feelings because it's more than a feeling, right? You got it in your head. All right. So when we think about this, I'm not asking you to be in love with Jesus. I'm asking you a question. Why do you do what you do? Why? I'm asking you, why do you teach a grace group? Why do you sing? Why do you give? Why do you serve in the nursery? Why do you help your elderly neighbor with their lawn? Why will we go and cut up trees and help people rebuild their lives and their homes? Why do we give? Why do we go? Why do we do what we do? Somebody sent me a meme years ago. It looks like a pastor. I think he's a pastor. I don't know him. But listen to what he says. I want you to go to sleep with this ringing in your head tonight. We're just going to loop it for a minute. Look at what he says. Why? 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 Let's do it again. Why? 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 He's got good Why? eyebrows. Why? 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 It's almost a song. Why? Why? Okay. Can you remember that? Why? 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 I can't even say it now. Why? Why do you do? What you do. What is your motivation? I tell you right now, with Miss Cindy and I, there's been a lot of investment. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. A lot of investment. But I do it because I love her. There could be a lot of other reasons. I respect and admire her. I've seen her give birth to our children. I see the way she's taking care of them, our grandchildren. I see her heart for our family. I see her heart for other people. She's loved me in the highest of highs and walked with me quietly in the lowest of lows. And the longer we're together and the more we experience those things, and much of life is somewhere in the middle, but the more we experience those things, you know, it's just fun. Yesterday, going to see Lucy's first ballet little Christmassy thing, she said, well, this is great as a grandparent. There's no pressure. You don't have to get them ready. You don't have to worry about what they do. You just sit there and record them and go, cool, we're leaving. It was great. It's fantastic. But what is your motivation? Both for your spouse, your friends, your family, but more than all of that, for the Lord Jesus himself. What is your motivation? Jesus always knows our works for him. Our works must be motivated by love. And watch what he tells us to do. I love this. If you don't have this one memorized, guys, you ought to circle it, highlight it, star it. You ought to write it on a postcard. Chapter 2, verse 5 is brilliant advice and a very scary consequence if you don't follow it. Because Jesus says, I take the light away. But it's brilliant advice. I've used it in marriage counseling. I've taught it all over the world. It is a brilliant little strategy that will help you. You ready? Without love, we are called to remember, repent, and because I'm a preacher, respond. I just want to give you three R's to remember. The three R's of getting back to your first love. Start in the mind. In fact, guys, guys, the first two have to do with the mind. Remember, repent, respond. So he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. That is incredible. Where we've fallen? Well, let's go back. Where have you heard that language before? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what he's telling the Ephesians? 
I think he's telling them just what Paul would tell them in Ephesians 2. Look, you were sons of disobedience. You were children of wrath. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is but, that's a good but, but God who is rich in mercy has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus is not saying you work your way to be right with him. He's saying because you are right with me, you are now my poema, my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus is telling us, I've changed you. I'm continuing to change you. Now show the world that you respond to me in love. Show the world. Show me that you understand. He says, remember, 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 have you fallen? Well, all of us have. But have you trusted Jesus to pick you up? Have you trusted Jesus and have you reached out by faith to the nail-scarred hands that lifts you up out of that muck and mire of sin? Have you done that by faith? Have you trusted in the one who alone can save you? Have you fallen? Sure you have. But do you remember? Can you remember? Numeneo, in the Greek language, it's M-N, and I won't spell it out, but in the English language, same word. We actually transliterate it. We don't so much translate it into English. But in that transliteration, it's a mnemonic. Mnemonic. What is a mnemonic? You know mnemonics, right? My very eager mother just served us nine pickles, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter. It's a memory device that says, take what's in your storage cabinet back there and bring it to the front. That's how I got through seminary. I made acronyms and mnemonics for everything. I had goofy words and sentences. It got me through a lot of stuff. I still use them. When I'm on the boat, I think red, right, return, right? What's that mean? If buoy's on my right-hand side, I'm coming back from the dam. I'm going away from the dam. Those are always relative to your dam. And so when I'm on any of these waterways, as long as you give me red and green, I'll find my way. Also for port and starboard, everybody's always worried. I can't remember. I can't remember which is which. Is it red or is it green? Well, just remember, port is a smaller word than starboard. Red is a smaller word than green. Port is red. Starboard is green. Port, left, smaller word than right. Starboard. Little mnemonics are devices that we use to bring things back. Oh, I know that. Which is it? Is it green over here and red over here? No, it's red over here and green. Now, from your direction, red and green. Port, starboard, left, right. And so that's a simple way of explaining a couple of basic nautical uh, things that you should know if you're on the water. That being said, Jesus says, have a mnemonic. If you ever watch somebody really struggling, I know in my father's early days of Alzheimer's, it just broke my heart to watch him struggling. He knew what he wanted to say, but he was searching, 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 trying to find the word, the phrase. How do I express that? How do I express that? And Jesus said, if you're doing this professionally and you've forgotten me, I need you to bring this back to the front. Don't ever let the gospel be far away from the front of your mind. Last week we said it was like frontlets between your eyes or tied upon your arm. It's like that on your gate and on your doors. I want you to keep it right there. And in this context, Jesus is saying through John, look, you need to mnemonic. You need to remember You need to recall, bring it back to the front. Then he said you need to repent, another R. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent. It's what John preached in Jesus and Peter and Paul. We talked about it last week, pneumoneo, a different word, but it means change your mind. 
So bring back to the front who Jesus is, and then if you think you can do this on your own, change your mind. 180 in your mind. The hands and feet will follow, but start with the heart and mind. And these things really are connected. So in your innermost being, turn. And then what does he say? It's very simple. Do the first works. Do the first works. Two people meet and fall in love and they spend precious time with each other and they talk to one another constantly and they share hopes and dreams and when they're apart all they do is think about each other and wish they were together and their love grows and mushrooms and one day maybe they become husband and wife and there's this cocoon of love built around them and they say oh we'll always be together life will be so wonderful and then jobs come up and appointments have to be kept and stresses are dealt with and arguments and problems and family feuds and financial pressures and these things pull on us and pull on us and they overwhelm us and we stop investing in those first things. We stop doing what we used to do and one day that couple looks across the table from one another and they think, oh, it's not the person I married. That's a stranger. I don't know you anymore. I made a mistake. I got the wrong one. And so often love was starved and didn't receive the nourishment it needed to grow strong and healthy. I know there are a thousand other things I could bring up in that, but do you think it's any different than that with our Lord? Busyness, even in ministry, can keep you from worship. Busyness, even in serving people for Jesus' sake, can keep you from walking with Jesus in a real relationship. A buddy of mine was talking about doing something with his wife, and he made a post uh, the other day, other week. I, I wrote it down as soon as I saw it for this message. He said this, dialogue daily, date weekly, depart quarterly. I thought that was fabulous. I don't know about the depart quarterly. We travel a lot already, so I don't know if we could always get away quarterly. But we try, every, uh, you know, we try a few times a year, but dialogue daily, absolutely, man. you got to communicate. I could not tell you in a day how many times I tell my wife or text her or attempt to show her, but certainly verbalize how many times I love her. Many times in bed at night, it'll be three or four times. That'll go back and forth. I don't think she's forgotten necessarily, but I want to keep it in the front. And I want to tell her, and I want to show her, and I want to express it. And then we've had a habit now for 29-plus years of dating, weekly or more. We went to Trans-Siberian this week because she bought that for me for my birthday. We went to Dollywood together without children. That's fabulous. I recommend it highly. It was incredible. I didn't have to go in the place that smells like feet where they play inside. It was awesome. I ate big people food, and nobody grabbed it from me. It was an incredible experience. We've got a little day date today that we've planned, just here local, after we nap. <laughs> We're going to do a little something together, date frequently. But if I'm going to dialogue daily and date weekly and then depart regularly, let's just say, um, why would I think it would be any different than with my Lord Jesus? It's a relationship. I should be talking daily. I should be listening even more than I talk as he speaks to me. We should be spending quality time together in worship and in praise. I should at times get alone just with Christ. Some very powerful times happen for me in my vehicle alone and when I close my office door and Karen knows, Cindy or Jesus? Well, now Cindy, Lucy or Jesus. Cindy, Lucy, Sophia or Jesus. Okay, that's it. They're the only ones that get through the door. 
But the reality is those are precious moments when I need that time to process and prepare and be ready for things like this. But even more than you, I need it for me as I'm reading and studying the Word of God and getting closer to my Savior myself. Because when I tell you to remember your first love, I am not asking you to remember a feeling. Jesus is asking us to remember a person. And I wrote it like this. God is not asking us to remember a feeling. He's asking us to remember a person. I'm not asking you to go back and try to get warm, fuzzy feelings. In fact, I'll tell you, you'll kill yourself on that mess. I'm not asking you to pull up infatuation feelings or lustful feelings or that kind of goofiness. I'm I'm telling you to go deeper than that. I believe that God would want us to go back and to respond, do the first works, meaning that what have you done in the very first place when you were developing your relationship with the Lord? What were the very basic things? Were you sharing with people? Man, I've gotten saved. Things have changed in my life. I'm not who I once was. Things are different, and then those things kind of get cold if we don't keep sharing them. We meet Jesus and we get over it. And Jesus said, if you do that, I'm going to take that lampstand away. You'll cease being a true church in this context, or you'll cease having real influence. And what would happen to grace if grace forgets her first love? What if we want to be cool? (laughs) What if we want to be trendy more than faithful? then I think we stop being a biblical, life-changing, world-shaking church. I think we become a big Christian business. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not interested in big Christian business. I'm interested in life change, transformation. I want to see things radically different in this world because of Christ. Jesus always knows our works for him, and our works must always be motivated by love. Without love, we're called to remember, repent, respond. And you can use that in your relationships, but more than that, use that in your walk with Christ. If you're not as close to him today as you've ever been in your life, you've moved, come back. If you are not walking with him more intimately than you've ever walked with him, then when I say amen in a few minutes, you ought to be here turning it back over to God. And you say, but I've done that before. Do it again. I've told my wife I'm sorry before. I bet I'll do it again probably before the day's over. Repentance isn't a one-time deal. I'll close with this story. Little Jack was a quiet, shy little fella. One day he came home and told his mother, I want to make a valentine for everybody in my class. And her heart sank. She said, I wish he wouldn't do that. She saw the way the children treated him. She saw how they got off the bus and walked down that road toward their homes And all the kids would pile up and laugh and play together and little Jack would be in the back. He always was in the back. But she decided it's what he wanted to do, so she'd help him. She got the paper, the glue, the crayons for three whole weeks, night after night after night. Jack worked on his little Valentine cards till finally he had a stack of 25 cards and mom helped him get it in a little plastic bag and he was so excited Valentine's Day dawned and Jack was beside himself. He, he got that little bag and he bolted out the door and his mom decided, you know what, I'm going to bake his favorite cookies and get a cold glass of milk ready for him. I know my little guy's going to be disappointed when he comes home. She was so scared that he wouldn't get many Valentines and then she was really disturbed when she thought he might not get a single Valentine. 
That afternoon, she had the cookies warm and the milk on the table. She heard the children getting off the bus, starting to come down the road, and sure enough, there they were, that front group of kids having a great time as normal. Little Jack in the back, head down. This time, he seemed to be walking a little quicker than usual. She fully expected him to burst into tears as soon as he opened the front door. In fact, his arms were empty, she noticed. Well, he did come through the front door, and as mom choked back tears, she said, Sweetheart, mama's got some warm cookies and milk ready for you, but little Jack hardly heard her words. He just marked right on by her, and he said, Not a one, not a single one. Mama's heart broke. She said, They didn't give him a single card. She hears him talking to himself again, Not a one. He came back in and he said, Mama, can you believe it? I didn't forget a single one. (laughs) Too often we think like the mother. Too often we look at what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of this? What do I receive? But true love, according to the Bible, is how can I serve and give this away? And little Jack discovered there's joy in being a blessing. See, our responsibility as a family of faith is not how this world responds to us. Our responsibility is to be true to the word of God. We will not change nor water it down to be more palatable or cool or trendy to a watching world. We will say, thus saith the Lord, and if they're false, we'll call them false. If they're true, we'll call them a brother. But we will not compromise as this family of faith, and the Lord will commend that. But also, my friends, we will be sure to give his love away, expecting nothing in return, because that's what Christians do. The greatest joy in life is sharing the love of Christ. It motivates us. It moves us. It changes us. I got you got to think about this though, guys. Think about it. Even at Christmas, Jesus wasn't that little bitty baby forever. Jesus grew up and they were no longer placing gifts by his side. Now they were torturing him beyond belief. He had those large thorns gouged into his flesh. There was no gold there. There was just the wrought iron Roman spikes driven into his hands and feet and that long spear pierced into his side. And yet God in flesh, Jesus the Christ, stayed on Calvary's cross to pay for your sin and to pay for mine and he would declare that it is paid in full because he loves you and you remember your first love that at Christmas God sent heaven's best. He looked through the halls and he said, who is worthy? And none was found until he saw the lion and the lamb. The Lord Jesus alone was and is sufficient and this season, guys, we ought to go back and remember why we celebrate. We ought to remember, we ought to repent, we ought to go back and respond by doing the first works, falling at his feet, loving him, serving him, giving his joy away. We remember our first love. Y'all stand with me this morning. Now, y'all need to come up here today and do some stuff. Number one, 
you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, what in the world are you waiting for? We had several folks saved last week. A whole bunch of folks joined the church. If you have a covenant and you want to make it official today, bring it on up. Miss Cindy and I would love to receive it. We met a brand new couple in the last hour. We had a bunch of folks last week, and quite a few gave their life to Christ. We celebrated baptism the last hour. I want to encourage you, come to these counselors. Come to these pastors. You say, Why? Why do I need to go? Because they know the truth of the scripture and they want to share with you the words of life. They don't want you to go away not knowing God. So come forward and take one of these guys by the hand and they'll take you to a beautiful place, very private, and they'll share with you the truth that God loves you. You can have a new life today. But also, we've got our friends just down the road, just west of us that are hurting. And as we pray for our friends in Israel, and I hope you tuned into that pastor uh, Q&A, as we continue to pray for those there, we've had loss of life just down the road. And who would have thought, as they were going about their Saturday, as they were just milling here and there and doing whatever they were, who would have thought that that would be it? That it's over. Those storms just as easily could have come here. We, we had a tornado touchdown not that long ago. You say, well, that's just to scare us, man. I'm just telling you, without Jesus, you don't want to take the next step. It's terrifying. So you can nail it down today. And we can be a people, we're going to give this week. We're going to go as soon as they tell us to go. But you can be a person who comes to pray. You, you may not even know the name of anybody there. But I'm told that there were entire neighborhoods wiped away. Imagine if that's the way you woke up today. With every worldly thing that is gone, but even worse than that, someone you love that won't be home for Christmas. They deserve our prayers, and we'll give them that plus much more. But I'm going to ask you to come as a church family and pray for our fellow Tennessee, uh, Tennesseans. Is that right? Tennesseans? I don't know if I've ever said that before. <laughs> our fellow Tennesseans. But I would love for you to come. I would love for you to pray, and I would love for you to just lay them before God Almighty and say, God, we're going to pray for them today, but we're going to go help them tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.